We now turn our attention to the last Aliyah, to Shavii, to lecture number seven in this series on Parshas Emor. And we turn remarkably to an entirely new topic. We finished with the Yamim Tovim and we return briefly to two uh, pieces of what you might call unfinished business. Long ago, we learned that in the center, in the epicenter of the Mishkan, and eventually in the Beis Hamikdash, the, there was a curtain which separated the Holy of Holies from the merely, quote, merely holy. And the internal, the westernmost section was the inner sanctum, which was entered only on Yom Kippur, which we read about in Parsha Sacharemos. However, to the east, toward the east, east of the, that curtain, were two very important sites, S-I-T-E-S. One was the site, the place of the menorah, of the great lantern or lamp or menorah, and the other was a table, the exquisite table upon which the breads were placed. And we learned in some detail about the structure and uh, configuration of these and, and p- component parts of these two um, components of the Mishkan, the menorah and the shulchan, the menorah and the table. But now we're going to learn in detail a bit about a bit about uh, each of uh, the uh, ingredients or what's to be done or placed upon or in this menorah and this shulchan. And here we go. God said to Moshe as follows, Tzaves b'nei Yisrael, command the Jewish people, they should take to you, shemen zayizoch kosis lamoor, pure, very pure olive oil, the first pressing of the olives, the oil that come out then, that should be used as fuel to raise up an eternal candle. Rashi says eternal means every single night, doesn't mean 24 hours, but means from the beginning of nightfall until dawn. This menorah should be placed outside the curtain. The curtain is a barrier between the edos, between the tablets which are west of the curtain, and this menorah which is east of the curtain. And these candles should be arranged by the Kohen. They should be arranged by the Kohen. May Erev at Boker, so that they light from evening until morning. Lifnei Hashem Tomit, constantly before God. Chukas Olom This is an eternal statute forever. Al These candles should be arranged on the menorah, on the pure menorah. Lifnei Hashem Tomit, before God always. And Rashi gives two explanations of what we mean by the pure menorah. Either it was pure because it was made of pure gold, or it was pure meaning that before putting the new, lighting the new oil, one had to clear out the ash from the previous night's oil so that the oil would be actually on the very essence, on the very metal of the menorah, on the pure menorah itself, toro, or tohoro shel menorah. The, the, the metal, exposed metal, must be uh, come into contact with the oil. So that's the menorah. Now we move on to the shulchan, to the table. What goes on the table? You should take fine flour, and bake 12 loaves. 
Each loaf should be two tenths measures. You take these twelve loaves and put them in two stacks, two piles, as it were, two heaps. Six chalos in each heap. And they should rest upon the pure table. Again, Rashi says pure table either because it was of pure gold or because the chalos, the breads, had to actually be on the table, come in contact with the table. They couldn't be raised. They couldn't be supported by uh, anything. They had to be at on the shulchan, on the table itself. Upon each stack or each heap of breads, you should put some levona, some frankincense, pure frankincense. So this was one bit of frankincense was placed upon one stack of six, the other on the other stack of six. This levona was the that which brought about God to remember us, so to speak. Meaning that these breads, as we will see, were not consumed upon the Mizbeach. They were eaten weekly by the Kohanim. What was put on the Mizbeach is this frankincense. So this frankincense was to these breads as a regular meal offering, the Kometz, the few fingers full of meal which is put upon the Mincha, upon the Mizbeach, from the Mincha, from the meal offering, and therefore is the Azkara, is that which is brought upon the Mizbeach from the meal offering, which in most cases is then eaten by the Kohanim, so to hear these breads, which are also a Korban Mincha, anything coming from grain, Rashi here tells us, is called a Mincha, a meal offering. What goes on the Mizbeach, what is burnt upon the altar from the meal offering, are these two bits of frankincense, of Levona. These breads should be placed every single week on Shabbos day before God. In other words, every Shabbos, the old breads were removed and the new breads were placed upon the Shulchan. This is a covenant forever. What's done with the breads? Aaron and his children, meaning... The Kohanim throughout the ages eat those breads in a holy place, meaning in the precincts of the temple, <coughs> not outside the temple. Why? Because these breads have the status not of mere Kodesh, of mere holy, but rather of Kodesh Kodoshim, of holy, of holies. So we learned a bit now about going back to the components of the Mishkan, the components of the temple of the Beis Amigdosh, and about the menorah and the Shulchan. Now we go back to a narrative, to a story, and a very troubling story. Vayetze ben Isho Yisraelis, a man, the child of a, the son of a Jewish woman. For who ben Ish Mitzri, with an Egyptian father, and Rashi tells us, that this Ish Mitzri, this Egyptian, was the man that Moshe killed. And this man engaged in uh, illicit relations with some Jewish women. According to Rashi, just one Jewish woman, this one. So this man was a product of uh, an intermarriage. Besoch b'nei Yisroel. Vayinotzu b'machaneh. 
and he got into an argument in the camp. Ben HaYisraelis ish HaYisraeli. Rashi offers us several reasons as to what this argument might have been about. But we have an argument between this man of a Jewish mother, Egyptian father, and another Jewish man. Vayikov ben HaYisho HaYisraelis. This son of a Jewish mother cursed pronounced as Hashem, pronounced the name of God, Vayakalel, and cursed. He blasphemed. Vayoviu also al Moshe, and he was brought to Moshe for judgment. Vashem Imo, his mother's name, this woman who was his mother, was Shlomis Pastivri Lamate Don. And Rashi again says some things about her that are not very complimentary, um, and perhaps she deserved a son uh, such as this. But they didn't know what the punishment was for using God's name in a curse. So they put him in a prison. That they should seek out from God what should be done with such a man. God answered Moshe as follows. Take this man who cursed. Take him out. Outside the camp. And all who heard him curse should place their names up, sorry, place their hands upon his head. And he should be stoned in the presence of the entire congregation. And now the Torah gives us a list of various people who curse or harm other people or the property of other people. And you should speak to the Jewish people as follows and say, If a person curses God, he must bear his sin, he must suffer the consequences. He pronounces the name of God, he should be put to death. The entire congregation should stone him. These laws apply equally to a person who is a ger, who is a convert, as they apply to a person who is born Jewish. And now let's go on to other kinds of injuries, not curses, but physical injuries that people might do to each other. If you strike another person, meaning if you strike him and harm him in a mortal way, you kill him, most you must, the punishment for murder is death. And if you damage another person's animal, you, for some reason you uh, are not careful and you harm the animal of another person, you must compensate him. Nefesh tachas nofesh. If you, you killed his cow, you have to replace it with another cow. So if a person harms another person, injures him, doesn't kill him, but merely injures him, as he did, so should be done to him. Now literally, this means, as we will see, if you harm a person and scratch his arm, your arm should be scratched. If you harm him and put out his eye, your eye should be put out. But Chazal explain and insist that this is not to be translated literally, but rather you are to compensate him for damages, for doctor bills, for lost work, etc., etc., money, mammon, but not actual physical punishment for harming another person. But the translation that we will have to give is, Kasher also also just as he did, so should be done to him. Shever tachas shever, a break for a break. You broke his arm, your arm should be broken. Ayin tachas ayin, ayin, eye for eye. Shein tachas shein, tooth for tooth. 
As you harmed another person, so too you should suffer. A basic rule of Torah. There's one system of justice. No favorites. These laws apply totally equally to a person who's a convert to Judaism as to a person who was born Jewish. I am the Lord your God. Consequence, uh, or end of the story, rest of the story, Moshe spoke to the Jewish people and told them these various laws, among which was that this Mikalel, this person who cursed, deserves to be put to death, and they did so. They took this cursor out of the camp, and they stoned him. And the Jewish people did they did exactly what God said. Not a very upbeat note to end the Parsha if we focus on the terrible consequences and the man who blasphemed and how he was put to death. But certainly it is uplifting to know that this Parsha with all of its many, many, many mitzvot, beginning with mitzvot incumbent upon the Kohanim about not coming into contact with a dead person, etc., etc., and going all the way through the Yomim Tovim and all the way through the Menorah and the Shulchan and down to the laws of Nezikin, the laws of damages and murder and, and injuries inflicted upon others, etc. It all ends with these what is it, five or six words, also, the Jewish people did Hashem es Moshe, exactly what God told Moshe. So we have finished Pashas Emor, it's Hashem. Next week, another person will be lecturing to you on Pashas Bahar. I will be doing some future lectures, but not for several months. End of Pashas Emor.